Song Earthlets. My name's Conrad alongside my friend Fox, and this is the 42nd episode of Space Spinner 2000, a podcast where two Americans try to make sense of the UK's own galaxy's greatest comic, 2000 AD, one month of progs at a time. For this episode, we're covering 2000 AD and Tornado for November 1979, progs 137 through 140. Oh, snap. Yeah, this week we'll deal with a bunch of disasters of the week for Judge Dredd, lose our soul with Blackhawk, and ride into the sunset with Disaster 1990 and ABC Warriors. As you do when you're Bill Savage. I mean, you know, you save the day and then you just go back to obscurity, I guess. <laughs> but speaking of things that are not obscure, Thrill One, Judge Dredd. <laughs> Script robot for Judge Dredd, John Wagner writing as John Howard, art robots are Ron Smith and Gary Leach, and John Cooper lettering robot is Steve Potter. And here we get into some deep in-lore love. Yeah, man. So we start with a Boom, Zit, and Nick, a trio of punks with forehead tattoos who have founded the Hellfire Club, basically just to raise hell all over Mega City One. Yeah, you do what you can to stave off boredom, I guess. Exactly. That's specifically the reason right. stated for why they uh, <laughs> why they're running around causing traffic accidents on a big three person tricycle motorcycle. Um, it's very odd what they're yeah. writing. Yeah, uh, a lady judge, Judge Harkness, forces them to pull over, but then she's shot at point blank range by a shotgun for her troubles. And she's like the most gorgeous judge that we've ever seen, by the way. She's a very pretty lady. Yeah, for now, um, she oh. manages to hit her panic button. And a bunch of judges, including Judge Dredd and a Judge Bryce, converge on her location to find her dying in the street. Bryce, Dude. who is Harkness's partner, uh, di- Harkness dies in Bryce's arms, and Bryce swears revenge. He heads out on his lawmaster over the protest of Judge Dredd. Love. That's true. Yeah, they're also in like real love with each other, which has now driven him mad with vengeance. Oh God, I'm gonna kill these motherfuckers. Exactly. Um, so Bryce chases the Hellfire Club, and Dread chases Bryce through the highways of Mega City One in just a couple pages of ridiculous, awesomely drawn, um, just traffic mayhem. They go against traffic and over, you know, jumping down overpasses and on top of cars and stuff, just in the, these huge, massive roadways of Mega City One. It's awesome. Judge yeah. Dredd has to cut them off at the pass. Yeah, exactly. So eventually, Bryce um, shoots an incendiary bullet at the Hellfire Club's bike and their wheels stick to the ground. Mm -hmm. Um, Bryce uh, chases after Zit, the one who specifically shot Judge Harkness, shoots him in the knee and then stands over him and prepares to execute him. But oh, before, dude, it's like gun right in the face. T- yeah, he's just staring down like, you'll die for killing the woman I loved. But before he can, Bryce is shot by Judge Dredd. Right in the freaking chest, man. Yeah. It's brutal. Dredd explains that Bryce loved Har- that because Bryce loved Harkness, he's forgotten how the law must be enforced in Mega City 1. And it seems like an odd stance, I guess. Oh, man, no, it's... it's uh, like, like, I felt this was like one of the moments where yeah. this character really clicked for me because like I was really into this scene um, of vengeance and then just at the very end like in a thought bubble Judge Shred's just like there can be only one love in a judge's life the law and he's Absol- just like yeah. nope 
even if even if you think that this is okay like it just blinds you to what we're supposed to be here doing and i will take you out doesn't Abs- matter yeah no absolutely i love that part too it's just like i don't know the uh the nerd part of like like the nerd trying to explain everything part of me i was also mm-hmm. kind of like you know the judges are specifically supposed to be judge juries and executioners i guess like yeah it's not. I'm. It, it's interesting to kind of think about sort of when and how lethal. For, you know, the judges can't uh, can use lethal force and sort of when they're supposed to and when it's sort of right for them to do and when it's again and when they're breaking the law by doing so and stuff like that. You know, we don't really have a. Cl- yeah. So far from what I've seen is like if a judge is under fire, they are absolutely allowed to use lethal force right. in order but to otherwi- protect themselves yeah but otherwise and it seems like really under most circumstances like you're you want to take people in alive and stuff which is just it, it's an interesting thing i guess like sort of mm. i feel like there are like this situation i've seen like cop shows or something like that where in this situation where uh there's there's a there's a but there's a, a group of cop killers on the loose it's a high-speed pursuit kind of ends and like, yeah, the same sort of like regular cops would, would would have to arrest them, but I don't know. Again, it's just sort of this like, well, what 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 power do the judges have? That's sort of interesting to think about, I guess. Especially oh, yeah. as we see sort of the judges become a bit more brutal and stuff, sort of as the years are going to wear on in um, mm. 2000 AD. You know. Well, I mean, we get an encounter with a with like a lawyer later too, so yes, yeah. it's, it's all sort of weird. Totally, yeah. But let's go to uh, Night of the Blood Beast. Oh, man, Clegs are back. Uh-uh. Yeah, so following the events of Judge Cal back in April, the Johnsons, a couple living in the Enid Blyton block, and Fox, just so you know, Enid, Enid Blyton is a, uh, is a UK uh, children's book author oh, who okay, I, cool. I don't think has made the, uh, you know, she's sort of a classic, apparently a classic writer over there, but hasn't really made the jump. To the states, I guess. Um, huh. Like I, I had never heard of her, and I sort of asked my Facebook friends, and no one, and, and none of my friends had had heard of her either. So it's it's sort of interesting, I guess. Huh. Um, but anyhow, the Johnsons have found Irk, a giant Clegg, mutated at birth, and massive and bloodthirsty, even for the Cleggs, which are a race of massive bloodthirsty Gator men, basically. <laughs> and he being the bloodthirstiest. An alligatoriest of them all. Yeah, and and biggest too. The the, the yeah. Johnsons have a basement apartment, and they basically just barred off half the apartment and kept him in there for like months. They've been feeding him leftover table scraps instead of the meat that his race craves, and thus he's been driven like even further mad just by hearing the beating hearts of the Johnsons. <laughs> like, yeah, man. Just listening, feed them blood. listening to the their, the sound of their blood pumping has driven him mad with hunger. <laughs> uh, so, er, that, that whole yeah. scene where it's just like him grasping his head, listening to boom, 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 yeah. boom. It's it's crazy. It's uh, it's really awesome. It's just sort of yeah. giving you this psychological feeling of this sort of just this you know s- semi mind mindless beast just being driven mad with hunger basically eventually Irk breaks loose and he begins rampaging through the block dread and a few other judges follows the clegg's trail of carnage to a costume party where he's finally (laughs) put down by the judges and there's this fun thing where they get like you know he takes like a hundred like dumb dumb rounds 
and almost kills Judge Dredd until finally his like the the nerves in his body tell his brain that he's dead. Basically, it just takes that long. Yeah. As the onlookers from the party are like, holy shit. Yeah. Dredd's pretty philosophical about it, though. He sort of recognizes that Irk was basically an innocent, like a newborn child, that was imprisoned and enslaved by the cruel Johnsons. But We, we get this a lot from Judge Dredd, yeah. like, on looking into, like, the, I guess, like beasts and and like lower forms and stuff like that yeah i think he's judge yeah dread's interestingly empathetic to sort of any to a lot of innocent things or, or, or sort of trying to see sort of how things relate to the law especially this month actually it's a very introspective a, a, a dread month you know dread sort of ends up thinking that sometimes judges even have to protect the city from the innocent which is kind of an interesting idea i guess oh my god right like Jesus. <laughs> so, next up, outside the Mega City One spaceport, a uh, pillar starts to disintegrate and the whole terminal collapses. It's the start of the Great Plastine Disaster. This does not seem like it would be a very good thing in general ever. It seems rough, man. So, so, so there's a back, there's a bacteria that destroys this stuff called plastine, and it's tough because pl- everything in Mega City One is made out of plastine, basically. <laughs> It can be like, super hard or super soft. It can be used for like all sorts of things. It's basically, yeah. you know, the omnigel of this world. Yeah, like 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 Dread is is radioing back to control, and his controller and, and his uh, communicator disintegrates. We see a guy on the street. His first his hat, then his wig, then his boots, then his clothes, then his underwear all disintegrate. Someone laughs at him, and their false teeth disintegrate out of their mouth. <laughs> Uh, basically explode and people fall through windows and shit it's awesome car tires suspension table on cables we see a robbery where first the burglar alarm and then like the bulletproof security screen of the store like disintegrate it's just it's chaos in the street and the whole city is falling apart I, Uh, I do like how none of the judges get all nudie or anything clearly they wear something a little bit more important yeah I guess Oh my god, super, super future cut for the 2000 AD heads, but I guess uh, information about judge about judges' uniforms uh, foreshadowed here. Uh, PJ, maybe eat your heart out, I suppose. Uh, anyhow, <laughs> you'll, you'll get it, Fox, don't worry. Um, but, All right. But anyhow, they find a cure, they found a cure for the bacteria, but it has to be inside the plastines to the start, so presumably, I guess... Everybody in Mega City One's just going to shelter in place, and then they're going to rebuild the whole damn city. <laughs> like, yeah, I just, guess. Like, like they basically just say we just got to let it run its course, and then and then count the costs and rebuild, which is crazy. It, this is like yeah. a little a little mini Mega City One apocalypse that nobody talks about. You know, like yeah, that, I, that time when like buildings would collapse. Yeah. They do. It's just, it's just like that time when literally half the city disintegrated because of a plastine plague. You know, um, it just happened. Also, this story seems like kind of either an old one or there was some miscommunication with the artist because the chief judge doesn't have uh, the distinctive judge judge Griffin <laughs> eye patch. But whatever. Um, he also yeah. has a giant winged uh, eagle chest. Yeah, that's that's standard. That's what. The, the chief judge wears they wear this giant really? eagle thing on there yeah oh yeah that's awesome it's super awesome yeah from like from Prague 2 that's how the chief judge has dressed oh, 
Yeah. Um, Judge Cool Guy, who I forget what his name is. That was, uh, oh my God, I forget too. That, whatever. <laughs> the first judge, the first chief judge. Yes. Um, but J- Judge Griffin wants to count the cost. Judge Dredd wants someone to pay that cost. He, oh yeah, dude. He tracks the course of the bacteria back to K.K. Danvers, the man who whose interspace shipping line brought the bacteria in. Dredd demands to talk to him, but apparently Danvers is recovering from a serious operation or something. Uh, Dredd starts doing some legal wrangling, but as he does, dozens of process servers barge in demanding <laughs> access to Danvers to serve him for lawsuits based on the damages caused by the bacteria. Which, re- I mean, fair. I mean, that's what happens, you know? Um, it's yeah. re- It's revealed that he's, like, sort of in the next room in an isolation tent... And, and pro- definitely in an illegal way. Mm-hmm. The, uh, <laughs> These the pro- guys march in and rip open the thing. And he instantly falls over dead. Oh. It turns out that the operation was that he got a new plastine heart. So the bacter- So he was in the isolation tent to avoid the bacteria, which has finally struck him, and he's been killed by the very disease he brought to uh, Me- Mega City One. Well, all right, time I for a. Just what you get. Hey, I mean that's why you know you got to be careful about these things, man. De- decontam your inter your interstellar sh- sh- shipments, buddy. Yeah, get on your shit. Yeah, so let's start this uh, Judge Dredd mini epic here, Fox. This is going to be pretty much all of next, or pr- probably half of next of next episode as well, with the start oh, really? of yeah the Black Plague. There are so many reasons that this is awesome, and I mm-hmm. just want to explain to you because. We'll want to go over it pretty quick, but there's a talking meat-eating horse. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. Henry Ford, buddy. (laughs) So out on the cursed cursed earth, it's farming time as Moe's big left ear hangs out with his uncle Flatface. Guess what their respective mutations are? (laughs) It's really freaking obvious. But out in the distance, they see something weird with the warp corn. It's black. It's gone black, covered in a giant swarm of spiders. Oh God, that's a lot of spiders. Uncle Flatface goes out to hit him with a shovel and gets beaten and gets bitten, paralyzed, killed, and eaten by the by this huge mass of spiders. They just drink his blood juice, and then also all the blood juice of all the other animals. Yes. Um, Moe's, and I think it's his sister Nance, get aboard his horse, Henry Ford, who, as Fox said, is a meat-eating Dracula-fanged horse with long ears, and gallop back and, and uh, gallop to warn, warn his cousin Amos, but find his place overrun, too. So they head to the town of Adam Gulch. That's A-T-O-M. <laughs> Him and this horse have a lot of great back and forth banter, by the way. There's a lot of like uh of like Moe's and Nance getting on the horse and Henry Ford saying, like, hey buddy, I don't uh do doubles and then Moe's just straight up putting a gun to Henry Ford's head and telling him to ride. <laughs> yeah, dude, like let's do this. I'll give you extra meat, whatever. Let's get out of here, man. <laughs> Seriously. So the people at Adam Gulch don't know what to do, but Moe's reckons one man in the big city can help them. A Judge Dredd. Mm-hmm. He rides off to get him, and as the plague of spiders approaches town, Moe's reaches Dredd and begs him to help. A judge agrees. He brings a few other judges along aboard a sweet judge jeep. Um, they arrive in town, but there's basically no hope. The Black Plague is too intense, and they're basically just like, let's 
evac these people and leave the town behind. But when they, but their their radios aren't working, so they can't do that. Instead, they'll have to make their stand here and likely die in Adam Gulch. Dude, bite, baby, bite. It's next episode. Yeah, man. Yeah, we're gonna Dude, do. I'm, I'm pretty stoked because I hate spiders. It's real, like this, like just the spiders are just this car- this black carpet that just sweeps across the land and a lot of times they do these close-ups of it and you just see like a thousand tiny like forest animals and stuff sort of get caught in um get get caught up in it and sort of eaten alive by it and stuff it's really cool looking well like the first panel it's like just this tiny dog like oh shit yeah it's getting eaten to death by spiders <laughs> absolutely. A horse. absolutely what i a don't dude. want yeah, I don't want to get too crazy about the Black Plague because we're going to be all over the Black Plague next next episode. But Dude. speaking of, um, oh, I don't want to make that joke, but uh, thrill to Blackhawk. Oh, <laughs> Blackhawk script robot Alan Grant writing as Alvin Gaunt, art robot Massimo Bellardinelli, lettering robot Jack Potter. Dude, so uh, cut cut to like. A blood sacrifice trying to be made by Ursa. Yeah, Ursa's basically running around the back rooms of the gladiator ship looking for somebody to sacrifice to the god of Chop Chop. Because, um, <laughs> you know, he needs some guidance. He mostly, he, he's mostly chasing after this cool crab alien guy who's like, help me! Oh, <laughs> Black- god, this sucks! <laughs> Blackhawk convinces him to use incense instead, which Blackhawk oh, then kicks then kicks Bloody into Ursa's yeah and then he and then Blackhawk like kicks some of the incense into uh Ursa's butt that makes it catch on fire Ursa sues the burn in some innocent alien scented bath and decides to help Blackhawk taking it as a sign from his god of chop chop yeah that it's time to escape so they start fighting their way through the ship taking down guards and blowing open doors and stuff Ursa narrates cool. this with his chop chop song uh, oh, we f- dude. We fight and then we fight some more. My friend, he chop chop talking door. <laughs> so good. <laughs> it looks like they might make it, like they get to it, like, uh, but then it's revealed that the director is watching all of this on vid screens and that this was all pre- predicted by the Oracle computer we saw last episode. Stupid fucking computer. So they get to, like, a skyboat, like, just an escape ship. But Ursa doesn't know how to pilot a spaceship, man. He's just a big dumb bear monster. So And I mean Blackhawk's a human from the Roman times. He's yeah. like, I don't know what the hell to do. <laughs> exactly. So they get they get ca- caught by the guards and they're about to be spaced for their defiance when a huge alien pirate ship appears attacking a cargo craft. The director sort of puts the execution on hold. And decides that he's gonna wait. He's gonna let the pirate destroy the cargo craft and then pick up whatever remains for salvage to make money yes. off of it. But as they approach, the cargo ship turns into another warcraft. It's a honeypot. We're under attack. Oh God, we're gonna totally get uh, pirates all up in our business. That's true. So the pirates attack. Um, they're boarding the entertain entertainer's ship and they're led by captain psycho who's basically the batman villain two-face as a space pirate like you know it's actually kind of awesome because he's like oh let's go pip pip and all that and then he's like i'll kill all of you if we don't break it definitely he's like a he's like a british dandy two-face basically (laughs) 
Oh, it's so amazing. <laughs> the director has organized the gladiators to fight back, and they do quite excellently, but it's a losing battle because it's like regular swords versus guns and laser swords, basically. What are bully boys? Like, he says that a lot, and it comes up in another comic as well. I think it's just, like, um, pirate... It, it's another way of saying, like, me hearties or something like that, or, like, you know, it, your droogs or your buddies, you know what I mean? Okay. Me bully boys. All right. I think it's just pirate lingo, to be honest. <laughs> um, but lingo. Yeah, so, th- yeah, you know, there's a day for it. So the director sends Ursa to let Zog, the uh, murder dwarf, loose. But then he, yes. he and Blackhawk get stopped by Psycho and his goons along the way. Ursa escapes, Blackhawk is beaten, and he's taken to the true master of the pirates, a horrifying oh. tentacle monster called the Soul Sucker. And in possibly what is one of the most horrific shots I've seen come out of this comic is just this worm entity sucking all over fucking black. Yeah, the the soul sucker basically looks like a bunch of lengths of like a PVC tubing with sucker mouths on the end, and one attaches right over the top of Black Hog's head and starts sucking out his soul. Which is like, all right. gross (laughs) so the pirates are sweeping the ship for ursa they open a vault door and let loose zog 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 Zog! zog gets freeze raid and uh ursa takes out the freeze rayer and then hugs zog to warm him back up and now ursa and zog are the best of friends and i want to watch this movie for the rest of my life (laughs) dude they hold hands everywhere they go they hold hands it's really cute Meanwhile, Blackhawk's soul is still being sucked out as Ursa and Zog start the fight back. There's trouble for the pirates, though, as the ships are being caught in a strange, incredible force. The pirates uh, return to their ships, and in the retreat, uh, Zog accidentally kills the director of the of the uh, gladiator ship. And uh, only... We'll say accidentally in heavy quotation marks. That's true. Only the timely intervention of Ursa keeps him from killing Blackhawk as well. Carrying the unconscious Blackhawk... Ursa and Zog also grab Batak, that evil uh, bug guy, and they steal and they, and they take one of the skyboats they were trying to steal at the start of this episode of the podcast because Batak can actually fly one. They fly out, but they're Im- immediately things go wrong as they're flying straight into a black hole. No one knows what's in a black hole, but only one thing is certain: it's gonna be hell in space, or just like contain a genie. <laughs> yeah, so Blackhawk, Ursa, Zog, and Batak all go tumbling through the black hole and land onto a weird planet that's contained within, I guess. Blackhawk sort of becomes conscious, and we see that his eyes are now like a star field because he's got no soul! Oh, yeah. And they're on what's called the Silver Sun. Yeah, they're visited by a stereotypical genie guy, and after that guy recovers from being sneak attacked by Zog, he explains the deal. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, our... our our boys are now stuck on the world of Silver Sun. It's ruled by the Great One, also called the Great Beast, of who this djinn is now is a servant. So, the Great One offers a challenge. Come to his castle and you'll get what you crave. A life of singing, drinking, and of, of fighting, singing, and drinking for Ursa and Zog. Freedom from the black hatred within his mind for Batak. And a soul for Blackhawk. The problem... Oh, yeah, the problem is that the castle's a billion miles away. You'd better look for a shortcut if those flying demons with crystal clubs descending upon you don't kill you first, of course. 
Oh, snap. We're going to have to fight our way out of this. Next episode, fly high, die high. Wow. That sounds, uh... <laughs> yeah. It sounds, it sounds like, it sounds like, like a, uh... It's, it, it, it's drug commercial. Or, or alternately a pro-drug commercial, like a, uh, like, like a patch that someone would have in their jean vest at a Cypress Hill concert or something like that. Oh, my God. But uh, but um, this is the new status quo for uh, Blackhawk. We're going to be in this weird monster world searching for Blackhawk's soul for the rest of the uh, okay. of, of the thing. And I'm fine with it. I'm ready to go with Blackhawk, buddy. Like I'm fine. Yeah, I'm cool. Honest, yeah, they needed to rip off this whole gladiator bandaid. It was getting pretty pretty. Agreed. Stale. Yeah, they kind of run. It seemed like they really ran out of stories really quickly with that. So I'm excited for this to be a quest comic now for sure. And man, speaking of quests. Thrill three, ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. ABC Warriors. Awesome. (laughs) It's gonna be so good. So good. Script robot for ABC Warriors. Pat Mills. Art robot is Mike McMahon. Uh, Lettering robots Peter Knight. So, George. Oh, so cool. Giant treads, giant mech. He's a giant robot. He's so big that he actually has a robot brain in each limb, and none of them will work together. So he's basically this gigantic robot uh, rampaging across Mars. Sort of just yeah. Originally, he was brought in for terraforming. Yeah, or helping but, with terraforming. But because his brains are so messed up, he's basically useless. He just sort of spends his time sort of tripping over buildings and destroying them, and people yelling, like sort of shooing him away, like "Get out of here, George!" And he's like, "Okay." He's very depressed. It's kind of sad. It, like yeah. he's a really tragic figure, honestly. Yeah, it's really sad. It gets a little dark later. Yeah. Meanwhile, independent farmers on Mars are being attacked by the powerful Biol Corporation, and only the ABC Warriors can help them. Spread the word! J7! They're taken down like Biol... Basically, Biol fighter jets fly out to... um, fly out to farms and raise them with napalm and the abc warriors are shooting those planes out of the sky but it's it's a losing proposition because they're just being reactive and on defense they need to find a better way to fight just want to do a quick shout out to my man joe pineapples always a1 to joe pineapples man hell yeah um but at this point, they encounter Big George, and Hammerstein has a plan. They'll go on offense, raise the bile base to the ground, and to do it, they'll need to harness the power of Mad George, and Hammerstein knows just how to do it. Mm-hmm. A1 for sure. Yeah. In the next in the next prog, we open with a pretty sweet poster graph that's basically we oh. see that how the uh, Magnificent Seven have moved to different parts of George's body Voltron style, essentially. <laughs> Like so awesome. Deadlock and Black Blood are on the feet. Joe Pineapples and Happy Shrapnel are the arms. Mongrels in sort of a cockpit in the stomach, and Hammerstein forms the head. LH104. Mm-hmm. I loved that. <laughs> Just left hand. <laughs> Basically, from these positions, they're able to convince the different robot brains abo- around George's body to work together for maximum damage, and also use them as like fighting platforms and stuff. Um, they roll into the Bio Corporation compound under cover of George's stupid, like they like the Bio's just think it's it's dumb George, not war god George. 
And the war got sure. <laughs> and they roll through, destroying everything they come across. Spread the goddamn word. Yeah, it's um, not Mad George anymore. It's fighting Mad George, Colossus of Mars. That's right. It's awesome because everybody fights from their position. So like deadlocks on like swinging off George's foot, like slicing dudes up and absorbing their life essences and stuff. Nourishment. Like <laughs> um. The battle's almost won, and as it is, George levels with Hammerstein. When the battle is done, leave him to be killed by the remaining soldiers. He couldn't bear the thought of returning to being mad, silly walk George. Because before that, with the different brains, he was basically just like a, uh, a, a, a living quap game, essentially. Um, yeah. He's happy to have done something good to serve a purpose as a robot, which is the ultimate thing a robot can do, and now he can die happily. Oh. So, the... F- the final prog, George and the bots are ripping up Mars all over. Biosynthetic oh, food harvest is destroyed. It'll take them years to recover. It's time to go, but as the heavy, but as the bio-heavy pers- pursuit tanks ride out to chase them, George asks to stay behind, like he said before, to sacrifice himself and cover their escape. And everybody is like pro this except Hammerstein. Like Blackblood's like, I'm an evil guy! And, I know, mean, the- death- yeah, Deathlock was like, "Listen, he's he's pretty set. Like, it sucks, and just give him this last yeah. thing." Yeah, they're in favor of it. Yeah, okay, yeah, like you said, with differing degrees of enthusiasm. But yeah, they, they <laughs> basically they 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 agree to leave him behind. As they sort of run off, they everyone's really sad about it. Um, they see George get pounded by tank fire and they see like the de- with the, the debris of George destruction flying high into the sky. George oh, is, is that dead. George debris? Buddy, that's tank debris. <laughs> oh, shit. Wait, because, where's, uh, where's our melted friend, the mess? Steelhorn the mess? Left behind in the escape. His flask was hit by tank fire and he's now flown through and, and, and he's now in, in uh, blah, inculcated himself into George's nervous nervous system the mess's metal body forges connections between George's systems uniting them into one for the first time so now he's a giant all-powerful murder bot oh my god and what does he do he throws tanks around and crushes them and is victorious and oh my god abc warriors he's just picking up tanks and smashing them together and stuff it's so cool spread the word yeah. oh. with george restored and immediate threats defeated the abc warriors have cleaned up this part of mars spread the word and that's it for the abc warriors fox oh my gosh it's so it. Like we talked about last episode, like stresses related to the huge art team for ABC Warriors really caught like was incredibly like stressful and like bothersome and stuff. Just nobody could draw this draw this thrill in a reasonable amount of time, essentially. And so it was just a huge headache getting it in, into production, essentially, and, 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 and getting it on the page. And- because of this, uh Pat Mills basically mothballs these characters, and they'll be out of action for a while. But I love them. I know, buddy. That's why you gotta. That's why we gotta keep doing this show until we get to the uh, mid four hundred progs in 1985, <laughs> when these guys show up in the pages of Nemesis, the Warlock, and everything goes insane. 
basically. Fuck, I will never stop spreading the word. Like Mark needs to be tamed. Like we're gonna be we're gonna be a nemesis the warlock and it's gonna be crazy de- like demons versus evil future church guys and suddenly Hammerstein's gonna be there and we're just gonna go crazy. Like that's my prediction. Man, I'm gonna forget because you know me. I'm gonna forget. I'm gonna forget real hard. And then I'm gonna get like really, really excited. Yeah, definitely. Like, you know, set the set your calendars for um let's see. Fuck. Uh- Set your calendars for like for like uh, April May uh, twenty eighteen when we're all just gonna gonna go crazy all over the place. God, <laughs> year. Yeah. Jesus. Ah, uh, so man, with the incredible high of um a- of the finale of ABC Warriors, what can what what can follow that? <laughs> I mean, to be perfectly honest, any prog that is after this. It's going to have a rough time. Especially as we go to non-thrills, covers, nerve center, pinups, and Captain Klepp. Uh. Or Kelp, whatever. Um, so, Prog-, <laughs> Prog 137, uh, it's Blackhawk, Ursa, and assorted alien gladiators on the cover with art by Bellarinelli, of course. Uh, my fave is the little crab guy who's got a hook sword that then Ursa church, uh, chases for a sacrifice. That guy is super cute, buddy. He's just Yeah, he reminds me of Ramus. Like a crab monster with like eyes in it and stuff. <laughs> Video game reference. Oh, yeah, buddy, I got you. I know, but this is a comic book I mean, you know, one doesn't have to preclude the other. That's true. See the um, sci-fi special from last time. Or when we get to Rogue Trooper, and I'm sure we'll do some weird, like, play the Rogue Trooper video game thing. Um, oh, God. I don't know if I'll go that far. That's fair. So, um, Tharg lets us know that the reader surveys have said that Future War is the favorite genre for readers, and indeed, it was my answer to the reader survey in episode 34. So, <laughs> starting in Prague 140, we'll get Future War with the VCs. Oh, yeah. Yeah. In this prog, there's some pretty good alien drawings, including a neat Johnny Alpha drawing and a weird alien Birdman as male model drawing. Yeah, that was weird, but the Johnny <laughs> Alpha one was dope. Yeah. In the, uh, at the end of the prog, there are more reader profiles, lots of pro-Strontium dog feelings, and Tharg calls out Rick Random as the least popular story in 2018 history. Oh, fucking no shit. Like, oh, God, it took a fucking rocket scientist for that one. Finally, there's an awesome pinup of Ursa singing the Chop Chop song, complete with music tablature, as Blackhawk stands in the background covering his ears. I love it. I just want to make reference to all of our readers. Every note is on the same exact bar, except for the last one, which is a lower note. <laughs> it's basically Let's... like like a, per, a, a, a percussion um, beat more than yes. an actual music beat. It's uh, like... <laughs> I, like it's a musical joke for kids who know how to read sheet music, like and then also cross over into this comic. Which, fair enough, maybe like a lot of kids in in ye old England. I feel like I feel like a like a ten year old in nineteen seventy nine who's reading this comic would know enough about music tablature, about how music is written to get this joke. <laughs> I feel like I would have, like, just, like, I, I, like, banned in elementary school or something like that, and I would have been like, hey, this is just super monotone, what the hell? (laughs) (laughs) 
Um, I, it's so bizarre, but it yeah. was one of my favorite things. It's so dope. I think it's so funny, man. Like just the the really simple Blackhawk standing in the background with his hands on his ears really makes it for me. <laughs> it's just like why, bro. In Prague 138, Mike McMahon gives us a massive battle scene with George destroying everything in his path. So awesome. The uh, the Nerve Center has several viral ads for other magazines in it. Um, one uh, from Tharg for something called Women's Realm, which has a design for making a Gronk plush toy. And then a writer lets us know that a science fiction magazine called Ad Astra uh, says that 2000 AD is a great sci-fi comic. And Tharg and I say, more like the greatest. Yeah, man. I also spent like 30 minutes trying to look up um, Ad Astra to see if this was a plant, but it appears as though Ad Astra was not actually published by IPC, so there's no collusion here. <laughs> oh, interesting. I would have like immediately said collusion. Me too. That's why I was like, what is this, guys? <laughs> <laughs> Come on. Yeah. So, Prague 139 is another largely context-free alien picture by Carlos Escara, the alien who came in from the cold. He's got so many weapons on him. Look, anything drawn by Carlos Escara is going to make me very happy. I just, I love the way he makes clothes, like space clothes look. Yeah. And space weaponry. It's got a very good sense of the future while still retaining some fantasy elements, you know? Absolutely. Inside, Tharg says he's getting responses from his request for alien warriors from Prague 131. Mm-hmm. He's going to start putting, like, basically one in a thing. Well, the first one is the Zen Android by Rudy Biongoy, and it has even more weapons than the guy on the cover. <laughs> yeah. Um, another reader accuses... Another um, writer accuses readers who have sent in prose stories of copying them from uh, sci-fi books, which is a goddamn scandal. Yes. Like, tracing is bad enough, but, like, just plagiarism uh, kids from 1979? Like, you should be ashamed of yourself. For real. Shame, shame. You know your name. (laughs) Another writer says that he and his friend um, are crime-fighting superheroes named Cyclops and Quicksilver, which, like, get that Marvel stuff out of here, you rotten kids. This is 2018. Get your weird superhero shenanigans out of this shit, which mm-hmm. reminds me fucking Captain Clep. God damn it! Well, hold on, I just want to say that the uh, the cover does have some context this month as mid-prog. There's a half-page short story of Star-Lord fighting the evil Destructor, who's the guy on the cover, and it's kind yeah. of a fun story, and it's definitely worth noting that while Star-Lord is showing up a lot, um... The mascot from Tornado, the superhero Big E, never does. But yeah, speaking of disappointing superheroes, <laughs> Captain Klepp is is accepting an award at a convention, not realizing it's a super baddie convention. He uh, he gets the award from the council. Uh, uh, it's a council of bad guys, including like Doctor Doom and an alien xenomorph for constantly bungling superheroism. The award is a bomb, and because of his constant bungling... Uh, sorry, after it goes off, Tharg basically intervenes with Klepp and sends him to England so that he will keep a better eye on him. I, like, just just take, take him off. Well, I'll say we that, that starting next week, uh, or next episode, well, I guess this episode, too, um, Captain Klepp changes a little bit in terms of, in terms of what it's making fun of. Because at this point, it's going to stop making fun of superheroes and start making fun of the British aristocracy, which is, I don't know, gives it a different tone, I guess. It's, the the whole next one is super weird, and I, I kind of don't get it. 
if yeah. that makes sense. Agreed. But let's let's start with uh, the rest of the stuff for Prague 140. Uh, the cover is a contest for toys related to the forthcoming coming Star Trek movie. There's, <clears throat> oh, there's, yeah. There's no real nerve center this month. Instead, we've got introductions of the two new thrills, the VCs and the stainless steel rat. Vape. Vape. The contest is to answer a super easy logic puzzle this prog and get instructions how to, for how to send in your answer. In the next prog, you can win a pretty sweet Enterprise Klingon Katinga class battle cruiser set worth eight pounds. And finally, um, Captain Klepp tours the Tower of London to see the crown jewels, and this like drives him mad with greed, and he turns into the evil kleptomaniac, I guess. Which, what? Okay. He steals the crown jewels and then crashes into the offices of Horse and Hounds magazine, which must be some kind of internal IPC reference to another magazine um, office somewhere in the building where they made oh. 2000 AD. Or some weird BDSM thing where you mistreat women. Well, if there's one thing I've learned from reading uh, Pat Mill's book, Serial Killers, that those two things are very closely linked when it comes to magazine production in England in the, in the late 1970s. Uh, oh, really? <laughs> um, but anyhow, Klepp is apprehended and he's about to be executed. Um, also this issue, we start a mini comic book thing, Star-Lord's Guide to the Galaxy. It's basically a list of aliens, both from thrills and original that are rated from one skull which is dangerous only in specialized environments and five skulls lethal do not challenge this category of villain under any circumstances uh this prog would just get the front and back covers and starlo's introduction and the danger guide and the entry for clegs which get four stars which seems fair yeah <laughs> awesome i don't know what to say yeah so yeah it's like all right yeah, totally. So, Thrill 4, The Mind of Wolfie Smith. Yay. <laughs> Script robot Tom Tully, art robot Vano, lettering robot Aldrich Mark II. So, okay. The, uh. myster the mysterious hand from last episode <clears throat> grabs Joe the stuntman and turns him into an evil druid monster. Uh, just, you know, just like the thing that grabbed him was. It was an evil druid monster turning him into an evil druid monster. And now it's time to film a monster movie, a, a monster movie with a real monster. We've seen the situation before. Um, yep. While Wolfie talks to the crazy local about the monster's backstory, apparently back in the day, an evil monster, the Wendigore, was locked away by druids using the standing stones at the filming site. With the info dump complete, Wolfie runs back to the film site as we get ready for awesome monster disco action, complete and with... And Tara becomes incredibly hot very yeah. fast. She's wearing this super sexy disco outfit. Oh, yeah. <laughs> it's, I mean, if this was meant for teenage boys, like, this is pretty much, like, as bad as it gets. You gotta, you gotta do something for those, for the older readers, man. They're out there. Fair <laughs> dudes. Can't, can't all be murderous bears, you know? Uh, <laughs> so the the increasingly unhinged director julian rouse explains yeah. the upcoming scene they're filming as a thunderstorm kicks up and wolfie runs back to the set the scene starts and the druid monster starts attacking people for real but rouse just thinks it looks real because of his excellent directing the monster grabs tara and drags her up into the ruins as wolfie gives chase like by At, the hair mm -hmm. this is not like a nice thing mm-hmm 
As he does, masonry starts flying around to stop him, and the crew desperately films the awesome action scene. Wolfie reaches the druid monster as it starts throwing tons of stones at him. Aw, jeez. Well, and you're right, like, uh, uh, the director is just like, while these stones are, like, flying everywhere, he's like, I don't give a shit. Film him. This kid is doing great work. Like, I want all of this. Absolutely. (laughs) He's Um, very unhinged. Yeah. Accusing Wolfie of helping those who would disturb the stones as Masonry goes flying at... um, Sorry. The druid keeps throwing these big stones at Wolfie. He manages to block them with a sweet psychic shield. He survives the onslaught, but the rest of the crew is not so lucky. Many getting hit by rocks, and a cameraman is taken out as the director yells at everybody to stay in their places. Um, Mm -hmm. Eventually, the druid respects Wolfie's power and leaves him alone for now, but they warn him about the Wendigore... And they, and the druid's like life force leaves the body of of stuntman Joe, causing him to disintegrate like old parchment. It's pretty gross. Wolfie, gonna uh, be honest. Yeah, it's true. Tara faints, and Wolfie carries her down back to the rest of the crew. Rouse, like a bro. Mm-hmm. Rouse puts Wolfie on the pay, on the payroll and wants to add him to the big sacrifice scene, which they'll shoot soon and will take place in the very three standing stones that keep the Wendigore at bay not great yeah so final it, um prog the storm has cleared and it's clear that julian rouse has gone completely insane everyone starts <laughs> to quit the film rouse swears he'll get a new crew and finish the movie himself he's got those like crazy people eyes through the whole thing too he's like dude i could totally see it we're gonna have like this crazy sacrifice scene and like there's gonna be all this stuff and like whatever we're gonna do it it's, it's true like, right. it's funny because he's just he's a swinging 70s guy with, with like a medallion and stuff at the same time <laughs> yep so wolfie's nervous and scanning the set he sees that rouse has disposed of the body of stuntman joe hiding the evidence that anyone died on the set Wolfie goes to confront Rouse, but falls through the set and lands in an old well shaft. Rouse stands above him, and in return for Wolfie's meddling, starts to fill the well with synthetic mud, which will drown him. Oh, jeez. And, of course, just laughing like a crazy person the entire he's, time. He's just gone full, um, like, cackling madman at this point. <laughs> Next episode, down, but not out. I appreciate that next episode title. Totally, yeah. No, they're they're having some good ones with this for sure. So, so I didn't hate it. I like. Yeah, I, this... Like I said, is in the in the previous episodes. Like, I like Wolfie Smith as like this concept. It's definitely like getting better with a crazy director and stuff. It's just not. It's not really like snagging. It's not awesome. Yeah. Or anything like that. And it's... I think it's because it's going through that whole Mach One effect of like, oh, I know what to do. I can just do it. Mm-hmm. It's just that he doesn't succeed, whereas Mach 1 would always succeed. That's he true, yeah. He eventually succeeds. Yeah, the fact that, that sort of Wolfie has some difficulty using his powers sort of makes his character a little bit more interesting. We're reaching the climax of this thing, too, so sort of, while I think there's been sort of some plate spinning and things moving slowly previously, now things are starting to speed up a little bit. And mm-hmm. um, we're sort of reaching the, 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 uh, the conclusion of this thing. Well, they're looking to, like, actually bring in some new stuff, which I'm kind of interested in, to be honest. For sure. Hey, speaking of things uh, reaching their conclusion, Fox. Oh. Thrill 5, Disaster 1990. (laughs) 
Uh, script robot Gary Finley Day, art robot Mike White, lettering robot Steve Potter. No, it's not what's going to happen to this goddamn podcast when the Judge Dread magazine comes out in 1990 and we have to juggle twice as many comics per month. What? <laughs> it's, yeah, that's when the magazine comes out, man. And it's like oh, you know, no. each one is like a hundred pages per a hundred pages of comic per month. We're going to deal with it. <laughs> that's what? that's the real disaster, man. <laughs> I, oh God, just shoot me now. <laughs> Don't worry, I have, I, have, I have a plan. It'll be fine. Um, instead... Like a bullet, we both put our heads together so we save on cost? No, we're going to do this thing real awesome. I don't want to talk about it. This is a, this is a, this is a 2019 Conrad and Fox problem. <laughs> not, a, <laughs> not a 2017 Conrad and Fox problem. <laughs> um, Fair. Fair as hell. <laughs> um, anyhow, it's the, no, it's the flooding of England caused by the destroyed polar ice caps. <laughs> the, the, uh, and the fascist dictatorship that's going on inside of England. That's right. The Greater London Legion is exp- is enslaving people all over flooded London, but not if Bill Savage and his mate Bamber have anything to say about it. They're whipping guys and calling them slaves and being all weird. But These guys have gone full, they, like, the GLL has gone full ancient Egypt on, like, the people of London, basically. But hey, you know what? I'm getting real tired of whipping all these guys. Let's watch some of this debris floating past. Hey, is that a tree? No, it's the duck with Savage and Bamber and a shotgun and you fools. <laughs> dude, he shoots two guys with a friggin' shotgun, like, right off the bat, and then hits another dude in the face. It's full Bill Savage. Totally. They've unleashed it. Yeah, they, they, so they take out the guards and Savage and Bamber rally the, the arrest of the freed slaves to help them take out the GLL and they show up and they basically immediately do so. It's super easy. They, they, they even have an underwater murder battle. Yeah, well, like, that's like how they enter in stealthily, like pulling guys underwater and killing them there. It's real cool. <laughs> it's so, it's so invasion. It's so great. They quickly fight their way to the two leaders, Martin and Razor, who are, of course, baddies from earlier in the series. They seem to have won, and the two leaders have been, t- um, have been taken hostage, and Bamber has found Dr. Sinclair from Oxford. But oh no! Sinclair has joined the GLL, and he's the third leader of their team! He pulls a gun and shoots Bamber, killing him! No! What the hell, man? Savage's shotgun is tossed out a window, and he's taken prisoner. Things look bad. Oh, man. Concrete overcoat time. Savage wakes up tied to a chair with all the bad guys, like, tossing water on him and taunting him and stuff. Still, This is after a firing squad has shot all of the people who helped resist. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's just surrounded by the dead bodies of the resistors, basically. Oh. Um, despite his struggles, he's trapped. They take him to the duck, which is then filled with cement and pushed out to sea. Savage reflects on all the people and things he's killed during this adventure (laughs) as the cement hardens and he prepares to die. It's fairly limited. He thinks back to the animals he murdered. That's true, actually. Alligators and geese. And then the horses he stampeded. Oh, yeah. (laughs) So, suddenly an alarm goes up, and it's those hill farmers from last episode. They, awesome. they all have shotguns and are oh, taking down yeah. the GLL jerks. <laughs> and, like, indiscriminately, they are like, hell no, London yeah. is going to be awesome again, yeah. or whatever. Yeah, yeah. Uh, the bad guy council is forced to flee with a final knife thrown by a razor that just misses Savage's head. It's kind of, like, awesome. 
it's, it's Razor's knife throwing abilities are super good. Um, yeah. The the farmers led by the squire pull Savage out of the cement and admit that he changed their mind about helping to rebuild England. Now it's time to finish the battle. Oh, it's awesome. Savage and the squire's men sweep into Buckingham Palace, clearing out the Legion men. Though the ringleaders do escape. Everyone has a celebrate. Beat people with shotguns and shoot them. It's really just. Oh God, I can't I stress it. enough the Comedic. level of shotgun violence that's been in the last like three episodes of Invasion of a Disaster 1990. Um, and then they have a meat party. Yeah, they have a celebratory dinner as a snowstorm starts. But down in the cellar, the trio of baddies is plotting revenge, killing guards and planting bombs. Not Meanwhile, great. Savage is restless because he doesn't know what to do with himself at peacetime. He. <laughs> He finds the bad guys in the basement and tries to stop them. The squire arrives to talk to Savage just in time to give Savage a shotgun and take a knife from Razor. Which is so messed up. I liked the squire. Yeah, it's tough, man. He, he, he really redeemed himself and then immediately died heroically. Um, it's the Bill Savage effect, man. Never become his friend. It's true. Savages stop the explosives from going off by shotgunning a ton of wine barrels. Um, and the and, and lest the bad guys escape as the squire shuffles off this mortal coil, they bury him and the sun rises as a, and and then a cry goes up. All the water from the flood has flash frozen ice everywhere, freezing the escaping council of baddies in their tracks, killing them. They're just all like like between waist and face deep in water with their arms up, like ah, we're freezing to death instantly. Good. It's basically the ice caps reforming and reclaiming ice from apparently just thousands of miles away, basically. Well, so there was like a blizzard the night before, I believe. Yeah. And like, no, they're like, oh, snap, this hasn't happened in a while. Yeah, it's kind of set up. It's okay. It's, it's fine. You know, the, the war is over. It's time to rebuild England. They'll do a pretty good job until nine years later when the Volgans invade. Uh, there, Bill Savage walks off into the snow set. Bill Savage will return in the uh, pro- in like the late uh, thir- Prague's thirteen hundreds in two thousand four. Holy crap! Is he any good? It's so good. Yeah, actually. Oh, that's awesome. It actually kind All of right. reflects on some of the themes we've been talking about about um, it's like Savage's friends dying and other things like that. I like honestly, I think that's why he mostly sticks to himself. Although I am sad that we didn't get to see him find his wife. Oh, that would have been so cool. Oh, my gosh. Right? In my mind, it's the squire's, like, daughter or something like that. Oh, that would be... See? Like, that would be such a great setup. That would have been so neat. Yeah, uh, that's a real... I'm bummed. That's a real missed opportunity, to be super honest. Yeah, Um, because, like, if people caught on to that, like, that's the continuity effect, right? Yeah, even if they had had just, like... Even if they had just shown him, have, like, the squire having a beautiful daughter or something like that, that would have... Oh, man. Okay. Okay. I don't want to get into it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's just say that we have a thing for Bill Savage. He's kind of he's kind of our man crush. I mean, yeah, man. He's fun. Like, I don't know. <laughs> he's amazing. He's fucking so super cool. Speaking of super fucking cool, though. <laughs> Thrill 6, the VCs. So, oh, man. Gary Finley Day picks up writing as a script robot for the BCs. The art robot's Mike McMahon. The lettering robot is Steve Potter. The distant future, the year 2531. Peace has reigned in the solar system until a race of space-warping aliens, the geeks, arrived and started slaughtering everybody. 
total dick move. Yeah. Now the military is reopened to stop the geek threat. Narrating this saga is our hero, new recruit Steve Smith. Who has the least cool name on the entire team. It's true. Smith is uh, being deployed to his new assignment as part of a six-man squad operating from a combat ship, which seems to be the standard military formation for this war. Mm -hmm. Um, He meets his squad leader, Jupe, in mid-space, when suddenly they're attacked by a pair of geek ships. The ships destroy the cargo ship Smith arrived on, and then the warship takes one out, one of the geek ships out with a Nova Blast, and whether the second ship is destroyed by a mega mine that Jupe leaves behind. It's some cool moves in space fighting. Big time, man. Like, all the while, Smith's just like, man, are we supposed to be doing this, sir? And he's like, shut up. Like, what are you, like, crying about? We're Gotta killing geeks. Yeah. Vape. Yeah. <laughs> Smith is taken aboard the ship where he meets the rest of the squad. Besides Sergeant Jupe, there's Ringer the pilot, Dwarf Star the gunner, Henshow the missile man, and Loon the second gunner. So awesome. Everybody on this ship, other than the pilot, pretty much just has guns as an expertise. Mm -hmm. Well, it's a warship. You know, one guy flies and everybody else shoots at things. Um, Yeah, man. They were all born off-world and are mutated to one extent or another. There's also the ship's computer brother. Together, they're the VCs, the vacuum cleaners, sweeping out the geeks with ruthless efficiency. Welcome aboard, Earth. Pretty freaking clever, man. Yeah. Welcome aboard, Earth, man. Everyone instantly dislikes you. Yep, because you're from Earth, and we're all the spacers, and you're the weird one now, and also you're probably from a planet that's pretty racist against us. Right, plus he's like the rookie, and they're all hardened veterans. Like, the VCs are like this famous squad, basically. It's just, you know, he's the fish out of water who's going to learn their ways, and it's going to be pretty fun. And yeah, when they destroy geeks, they say that they're vaping the geeks, which I believe is short for vaporizing, and I find that to be hilarious. That's amazing. Vape. (laughs) Exactly. Hey, speaking of the far future, Fox. Oh, man. Thrill 7, the stainless steel rat. I like this a lot. (laughs) I just want you to know. So, script robot for stainless steel rat is Kelvin Gosnell, the original Tharg. Art robot is Carlos Escara. Lettering robot's Jack Potter. So, this is the second new thrill this episode. I'm a a huge fan of stainless steel rat, actually. I, I... I read the books it's based on back when I was like a kid, basically. Really? This yeah. It's like if Bruce Banner were a supervillain. Mm-hmm. It's like, it's this is the comic bookization of the novel of the same name. It's written by Rick Random scribe Harry Harrison, which is sort of redeeming for him a little bit. Mm-hmm. And uh, also why that there's like less people speaking than there are fucking text boxes. Well, okay, but I mean, that's... A, uh, a symptom of it being a book that's got a narration that's being put on the on the on the comic book page, you know. That is fair. I read every single one of those text boxes well, I, because I'm yeah. actually engaged. Like, okay, so I I love this stain. I love this thrill, and here's the reason why. All right, I love the I like the books. Um, mm-hmm. I like sort of a fourth wall breaking um, first person narration. I think that that can be very fun and funny. I think um, so too. I love Carlos Escarra's art. Oh, yeah. He's my favorite artist. And I love the actor James Coburn, who's a very fun guy. And <laughs> James DeGriz, the stainless steel rat, is specifically and definitely James Coburn. <laughs> <laughs> like, Escara's literally said, like, Coburn is his favorite actor. And so when he read the script for Stainless Steel Rat, he's like, it has to be Coburn who I draw for this story. Hell yeah, man. You do um, you, man. 
yeah, it's 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 so cool. It's written really fun. Um, so yeah, especially when you consider that this book was written in like that the book it's based on was written in in, in 1961. Like it's sort of kind of loose, chatty, fourth wall breaking narration is really sort of ahead of its time. You know? Oh hell yeah! So the story starts with James Bolivar de Grizz one of the few remaining criminal in a future thousands of years from now. He's like a mastermind, right? He's like a 1% of criminals. Yeah, well, I mean, it's like, it's the far future, and it's basically a um, post-scarcity situation. Like, there's only, the only people who go to, who become criminals are the super smart people who just want to um, live life the easy way, but also sort of test their skill as criminals, essentially. Yeah, it's like one percent of the population would even think of turning to crime in this reality. Um, and Slippery Jim is awesome, crook. He's super smart. Um, he like if the the story basically starts with him getting caught and he and him going on the run. He runs past these this huge stack of gold bars he'd been stealing from a bank and disappears into the night on like a zip wire on monofilament rope. So great. Later, he steals the police evidence van full of stolen gold. <laughs> And then sort of causes chaos downtown and drives to a spaceport to basically have it be shipped all over the galaxy to launder the gold through multiple shipping services. Which is amazing. Like, he just gets away at every step up until a point. Yeah, he just knows what to do and has a plan for everything, and he's super smooth. Um, Yeah, it's going well, almost too well, when a black van full of troopers show up. The mysterious Special Corps. The secret intergalactic uh, police force so sinister no one they've captured has ever been heard from again. It's a stainless steel rat trap. Uh, Next episode, send a rat to catch a rat. And I should mention that sort of, like, the stainless steel rat is sort of a reference to DeGriz's theory that, like, sort of criminals are kind of rats. They're sort of living in the dark corners of society living off of what it produces and stuff as time goes by and you know buildings and stuff begin stop being built of like wood or things that a rat can live in the rats have to change too so in a world that's made of stainless steel you need a stainless steel rat dude it's awesome also in this in uh, Prague 140 there's a article by Harry Harrison explaining the genesis of the stainless steel rat but due to a printing error, it appears after the comic and this Prog's Wolfie Smith episode just sort of floating out in the middle of the page, I guess, um, which sort of lessens its effect. Uh, more on this error later. <laughs> <laughs> and hey, that's it for the thrills this month, Fox. Woo, this is a, this is a good month, I gotta say. Um, I enjoyed the hell out of it. So what's your top and bottom thrill for this November 1979? All right, so I think it's like no mystery that this this month has been a particularly good one. If you're reading along, like really, like even Wolfie Smith isn't all that boring. You're having yeah. a good time. Yeah, but very very strong talking, contender for the spinnies for sure. Oh yeah, and but if we're talking like top, nothing really um, gets there like the ABC Warriors right now. <clears throat> That's my top 100. percent I really do. Like Judge Dredd, especially the one-offs, it's good character building. We're just about to go into an arc, but my god, fuck, damn it, man. ABC <laughs> Warriors, spread the goddamn word. It's the best goddamn comic. It's so good. Oh, I just like George becoming uh, like a melded thing between the mess 
and George is just mm-hmm. like exactly how I wanted that to go down. So much of this comic is like generally, you know, whoever you were rooting for dies in some way or just, you know, shoves off and you don't see them again. And this was just a really great way to end it, in my opinion. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, like bottom, uh, I mean, I'm, I'm not really allowed to say Captain Klepp. It's horrible. <laughs> I hate Captain <laughs> Klepp. I want it to burn and die in fire but if we're really gonna if we're really gonna choose one it, it will go to wolfie smith um but with the caveat of like they they are trying right like mm-hmm. i i will defend wolfie smith to the grave only in that like i think esp fits in this comic weirdly enough like i yeah. find that to be more sci-fi i think that they just didn't find the right angle of approach um it it's not bad it's just like it's definitely not good you know yeah i hear yeah no so i'm about you conrad i'm in solidarity with you man abc warriors is so awesome man um like <laughs> i really gotta say if you haven't read abc like the, the uh there's um collected editions that that like collect this stuff the uh the, the just the first abc warriors volume and stuff is so awesome it's like the the, the whole arc is so amazing of just um getting the team you know showing the war and then getting the team together and then going to mars and doing all this mars stuff um it's amazing yeah like man. and this and this capper of it of both resolving sort of the messes story which was sort of you know got left behind just because he can't really talk that much and stuff but having him sort of mm. redeem himself and find a way to help people which is what steelhorn wanted to do when he retired from being an abc warrior you know yeah. and now he can sort of you know, now he's bonded with George and the two of them can start like working to help the people of Mars and stuff is really awesome. Um, and then just the art, the destruction of um, the base and stuff and just this this oh. huge smiling George head ripping through buildings and things and all the yeah, man. ABC Warriors on him killing people and this, all that stuff is all amazing. ABC Warriors forever, really. They're so <laughs> fun. Um uh, not that we're pro robot for any inconspicuous purpose. We just happen to really enjoy this comic. Representation matters. Uh, bottom thrill. Um, yeah, I, I'm gonna say Wolfie Smith too. Um, you know, I really like. Like, I think Wolfie and um, Disaster 1990 were sort of vying for what would be the bottom thrill this month, mostly just as being the the least the least awesome thrill. More. Yeah. Like. All these ones, like, I kind of imagine there being a line of, like, thrill power, basically. And, mm-hmm. you know, there's sort of, you know, on that, on that continuum, there's definitely a line that's like, this is a good thrill. Um, and this is, and, these, and all this stuff is definitely above that line. But um, Wolfie, I think, is the lowest one. It has the least thrill power of these um, comics, and that might actually be a better way to say it. Now that I'm thinking about it, as we get, oh, to, yeah, yeah. as we as we enter episode 42, is or as we end episode 42, <laughs> is making the categories maybe which thrill has the which has the most and which has the least thrill power of the month or something like that. Just yeah. for situations like this where everything's pretty good, but there's still sort of quality variations inside of them, you know. I mean, yeah, because if it's garbage and shit and tat, like I'm gonna let you know for that sure. It's real bad. Yeah, but you but, know, sometimes. But I do, but I do like the idea of, of using a thrill scale because that's it's a little bit, I you know, better than just saying that something's uh, outwardly at the bottom. Yeah, like, agreed. Yeah, let's let's talk. Let's take it offline. Anyhow, yeah. <laughs> I hope everybody yeah. 
enjoyed the show. As always, you can find Space Spinner 2000 on iTunes, Stitcher, the Google Play Store, or our podcast site at Cradleline.com. Feel free to contact us at spacespinner2000 at gmail.com or on our Facebook, Instagram, or Twitter pages. On Twitter, we're spacespinner2k, and everything else, just look for spacespinner2000, and we should be there. Come back next time as spider power reaches dangerous levels, the Wendigore attacks, the VCs vape some geeks, the stainless steel rat gets a job, and Blackhawk searches for his soul. Also, Tharg fights Santa for the future of Christmas. What? That's right. Until next time, I'm Connor at his box, and we are Space Spinner 2000. It's Glenn Dugford 3. Glenn Dugford 3.